You're listening to Minor Talk On Demand exclusively on 600 ESPN El Paso. Stay up to date with Minor Talk by downloading the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. And we are back. That is right. Minor Talk Season 5 along with my co-host Sal Montes, Amitri Bratis. We are presented by the Oscar Arieta Agency for another season. The Oscar Arieta Agency is back with us here on Minor Talk. They have several locations across El Paso, and they've been serving the El Paso community for the last 27 years. You could visit their booth on every UTEP game day to register for prizes like their Ultimate Cowboys Experience. Visit RiseUp915.com, and you can actually start registering today for all their game day giveaways and you might have a chance to walk home with a special gift from the Oscar Arieta Agency every single UTEP home game uh, and they are the presenting sponsors of us here on Minor Talk. Well, it's been a while, and I appreciate all the listeners uh, responding to us, keeping with us, and uh, or keeping involved with us, and getting excited for this season, just like we are, for another edition of Minor Talk. This is season five, year five of doing this. We started doing this all the all the way back in the 2019 season, and I think when we started that year. Sal and I didn't really know what to expect. There was, uh, it was a lot of unsuccessful uh, minor talks, I should say, because of the poor performance of the UTEP football team that year. I mean, remember, they finished 1-11, and and we had to try to get people either talking for the minors or against what the regime or what the era was really showing us up to that point. But we're here for year five. We're excited as ever. This is going to carry through the men's basketball season. And of course, as we've always done, we'll sprinkle in some women's basketball minor talk uh, throughout the year as well. You'll hear from yours truly. You'll hear from Sal Montes. Throughout the season, you'll hear from appearances from guys like uh, Zay Galindo, who is now our newest member of Minor Talk. And you'll hear from multiple personalities from 600 ESPN El Paso, like Jason Craig, Steve Kaplowitz, Duke Keith, possibly, uh, so on and so forth. But we're just excited to be back at it once again for Minor Talk for another season. And now I get to welcome on our co-host of this show, Sal Montes, who is coming off quite the off-season himself. Um, I wrote this a couple um, weeks ago, Sal, and I want to read it to you now. I actually wrote this when Samir was born. You come to us as a new father. You've always been a brother to me and a day one friend on and off the mic. We're back at it again. And I remember when I woke up to your text and it made me smile and made me emotional instantly. Uh, and you had told me that Samir had been born. Uh, Selma, congratulations to you and her for all of this journey. And uh, we welcome you here to the program today. How you doing? How's everything going? Give us the baby update, Sal. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adrian. And uh, same sentiments to you, man, on and off air. Uh, always somebody I could call and count on for sure, brother. So uh, much love to you, uh, to Lisa, to the A-team. So shout out to you guys. Um, yeah, everything's great, man. I, I got initiated um, basically hours after he was born. First diaper change. I got, uh, you know, I got projectile on me. What kind? You name it. I got it. <laughs> so, um, everything's good, man. Just, um, just uh, you know, changing diapers every day, uh, getting the bottles ready and seeing those smiles, man. It's, it's awesome. My, my full-time job, 
um, with with no break started June 25th, and it's the best job ever. <laughs> wow, Sal, that's awesome. Well, this date that I have this note for is stamped June 26th. So uh, I'm happy yeah. that I I'm happy that I uh, remembered to bring this up right now, and uh, happy that we're talking another season of UTEP sports. And, and Sal, I think that's where we should start because we one thing that we never do on this show is take the listeners for granted. Whether we get yeah. the callers uh, from uh, you know from a emotional really passionate standpoint or we get callers from the frustrated pissed off standpoint doesn't matter i mean we have had uh, we have been so blessed over the years to have so many people reach out to us interact with us and the reason they do it is not because of us not because of you and me it's because of their love for utep sports yeah 600 espn el paso is the flagship station for minor athletics and it's been so since 2019 it's been great to capture listeners right after a game to get their responses in the heat of the moment that's where we get the reactions kind of the their most raw in the heat yeah. of the moment once the game is over for minor talk yeah and and to that same point right we talk about the um the immediate reaction for the for the bad and we also get it for the good uh as well so to, to get both sides is awesome but uh, i like that we're kind of like a, a safe space for for people to vent to right and um and when they win shout them out or even like critique uh, when the game's over so it's definitely all about the listeners uh we're just like them we like to watch UTEP athletics and we have our thoughts afterwards as well so I can't believe what this is year four year five something like that 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 we're going on something around that but um man it's, it's just always been incredible to to feel those same emotions or you know some of the same ones that these listeners feel and when they call, it's kind of like they take the words right out of our mouths, too. Yeah, I mean, season five, Sal. Season, five seasons Ooh. of doing that. That This is going to embark on <laughs> year five, which is great in itself. I mean, and the cool part about it is we have listeners and callers that have been with us since yeah. day one. Like, they, they called us the first show that we ever did for Minor Talk. And they called us the first time we ever did something for the men's basketball side of things. And they're still with us on this journey today. They still talk to me at games. They still find us afterward and they try to interact with us in some way or another. Now, some have moved away from El Paso. Some don't even live in El Paso or never have, Mm -hmm. and they still interact with us. We've had calls internationally. I mean, of course, Mexico, but we've also had some from Canada over over the years, and we've had callers from all around the country. That's a blessing in itself, too, the fact that people – all over, not just in El Paso, but all over can interact with UTEP sports here on Minor Talk. Yeah, that's what I love about it, too, whether it be, you know, residents um, outside of the U.S. uh, or, um, you know, military members as well. Family members even call in. We've gotten um, family members of of (laughs) players calling in, whether to to that, you know, to shout out their their kid or to, to bash uh, you know, the competition, one or the other. We love it. So uh, we're just extremely grateful for everybody who tunes in because you guys are why we do it at the end of the day. We we uh, we love hearing what you guys got to say. And 
uh, we're going to do this all over again. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I, I would say that if you've never listened to Minor Talk, first off, thank you for listening to this, and thanks for getting excited about the UTEP football season because we're just ex- as excited here on 600 ESPN El Paso. We'll be um, hosting every single game here on 600 ESPN El Paso and on KLAQ, our partner station, 95.5, as the Chihuahuas baseball season wraps up. And it's great to hear from listeners all throughout the year. So we hope that you enjoy the ride. We hope that you stay with us. And if you don't catch Minor Talk in real time, we will always have it podcast via our on-demand services wherever you download podcasts for free. Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, We have it on Spotify. We have it everywhere. So that is Minor Talk wherever podcasts are available. So let's jump into this year, Sal. And before we do that, let's Mm -hmm. reflect back on last year. Last year, the Miners finished up a disappointing 5-7. and And I say disappointing even when the Miners had an opportunity to be bowl eligible in the final game of the year. But you go back to how it started. It was North Texas, and it was the way that the Miners fell flat in that opener at home. All the hype went around UTEP versus North Texas in Week 0 to start off the 2022 season, and the Miners just fell flat on their face. They were unsuccessful, they had too many turnovers, and it kind of felt uh, like the rain delay and the lightning delay ahead of time was symbolic as to how that game would end up when it was all said and done. Just very disappointing for the Miners to come out that way. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people both on and off the record, Sal. I kind of feel like that mm. 31-13 loss to North Texas may have uh, snowballed into, um, I guess, kind of negativity across that team last year and could be a, a, a big reason why they did not win finish out with the winning record yeah it, it, it plays a part in it right uh, at the end of the season five and seven overall you could look at any of the losses and say hey if they would have won this game you know they would have uh, become bowl eligible but ironically enough you talk about the first game I, I, I looked at the last game of the year against um, UTSA the three-point loss as another one as well but either way think of it like a sandwich both of those, that's the top bread and the bottom bread throughout the end, throughout the whole season, right? And the bread is just bad. You start out with the loss and you end the season with the loss. And when, when the season, um, you know, after it's all said and done, is five and seven, those two loom the biggest uh, when I look at it for sure. I think so too. I, I also look um, in the middle of the season. So they, they play New Mexico State, they, they win. That was At that point, I felt like that was expected. They lose at Oklahoma. That was also expected, I thought. And then came the unexpected part. They go on the road at New Mexico, and they get utterly dominated in that game. The Miners had seven turnovers in that game. Seven. And I think after that one, a lot of fans were out. We remembered uh, after that loss to New Mexico, we had a lot of passionate fans just be completely out on this team. And at that point, negativity was at a, at a high, Sal. UTEP at that point was 2-2, two and two, and fans thought at that point they should have been at least 3-1 and one, or maybe even, you know, um, two and two, but they were at that point going into the Boise State game one and three with their only game ha- having won uh, being the Aggies in the Battle of I ten. Yeah, and and how funny things um, things look, right? The, the win over New Mexico State um, turns out to be the better win 
uh, instead of defeating New Mexico at the time. No, nobody knew that. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, this, um, but New Mexico State has just had um, great success. Um, throughout the last year and, and some recent years before that. So now that's not a game that they can kind of just, you know, circle on their calendar and say, hey, really good chance at a win. That's a really, really formidable opponent now. But um, you're right, though. After the loss to Oklahoma, we talked about this on the show saying, hey, their next four, it's uh, New Mexico State, the Lobos, Boise, and Charlotte. You've got to go 3-1. and one. They did eventually. It just wasn't in that in the fashion that they would have liked. However, that loss to New Mexico um, hurt just as much as the win against Boise State did. It, it, in a way, it kind of took some of the shine and, and the, the joy of that Boise State win when you reflect on that whole season and see that 27-10 loss to New Mexico. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the year, you could reflect back on last year and say, well, they beat opponents like Boise State, but they lo- also lost to really bad opponents like New Mexico. Yep. So, yeah, you did go back, mm-hmm. reflect on those two games uh, when the, the season wrapped up. So that leads us to winning for the first time ever in Eastern time zone history, which they did at Charlotte. So I thought I, at that point, UTEP wins 41-35, and fans kind of think, is this team turning the corner middle of the year? Are they finally catching their stride? So they beat Boise State, they beat Charlotte, and they even the record up at 3-3 three and three at that point. So then you look at the rest of their schedule and you think, how could they miss a bowl game? How do they do that? How, do, how in the world is UTEP not going to a bowl game? Well, they lose to La Tech on the road. They beat Florida Atlantic thanks to a, uh, a walk-off field goal by Gavin and Beckley and a fumble recovery from Jadrian Taylor that made uh, highlight reels all around and, and blew up social media to that point. They lose against Middle Tennessee, which is going to be the ultimate one where people look back and say, what happened? Mm-hmm. And the week right after, they lay an egg at Rice. So I, I wonder, where did it go wrong for UTEP in the month of October? Because they were too inconsistent last year in the month of October to put themselves in a winning situation where they had to win those last games. They had to beat Florida International, which they did, 40-6. to But they also had to beat UTSA, which uh, even though they had a 24 nothing w- uh, lead going into halftime, uh, asking UTEP to beat UTSA is a tough task. Yeah, and, and that's the toughest task as well. I mean, it couldn't – I don't want to say easy, right, because obviously the game's not easy. But in terms of things, it couldn't have been more favorable for them. I think that's a better word. Um, because they jumped out to that 24 to nothing lead, they're on the road. They had all of the momentum. and just couldn't seal the deal uh, when it comes to um, UTSA. But kind of uh, jumping back to uh, to October where you said or you asked uh, where it went wrong, I think it's that loss against Louisiana Tech because you're coming off of a – you're riding the momentum of a two-game win streak. One, you beat Boise State for the first time in who knows how long. You win for the first time ever in the Eastern time zone, which is a, a Guinness Book of World Records in its own right. But then you come, um, you don't come home. You, you go on the road against Louisiana Tech with a chance to to so, to really stamp yourself as um as a team who who's starting to really make some noise, and they fall flat. And, and it, I say this game as well because I think it was like twenty to uh, twenty to nothing, or they dropped twenty 
on UTEP in the first quarter. And they were kind of just trying to climb out of that hole they dug themselves in all game. So, yeah, it was a 10-point loss. But that game, the final score is not indicative of how the game really went. Yeah, I forgot about that completely. I, I went back in and I looked at it. Louisiana Tech scored four of uh, four of their first five possessions, including that interception return for a touchdown. They led 30-10, to 10, and then the Miners mm-hmm. started to come back. So you're exactly right. I mean, it was over, really. I mean, There were some points where you could argue that El Paso started to pull in later on, but then every time UTEP started to inch back close in that game, Louisiana Tech mm-hmm. would pull away. I think at one point uh, UTEP cut it. It was 30-24. to They cut it to a touchdown uh, deficit, and then Louisiana Tech turned around and put together a four-play 87-yard drive to really uh, put this one out of reach. So that's that's how that one ended up happening. I liked how you described it. That's kind of where their October spiraled into, uh, I guess, a, a pit of inconsistency and a bit of correction on my part as well. UTSA in that game, uh, the Miners led 24 for nothing. Then UTSA puts together a five-play, 75-yard drive, including a late touchdown as well. Another interception returned for a touchdown that UTSA had. Then UTEP missed a field goal. It was the last field goal for Gavin Beckley, and he missed it. They went into halftime with a 24-14 lead, still with a lot of um, you know a, a lot of momentum. And the Miners came out of halftime with a 66-yard touchdown drive to put them up 31-14. to But that probably was the microcosm of the season, Sal, where even though yeah. the Miners were up 31-14, to UTSA comes back and beats them in that game 34-31. That's a heartbreaker. That's one that UTEP mm-hmm. fans will always look back on and think, what if? What if they had just hung on to beat the Roadrunners on the road? That that would have been uh whew. we talk about big wins, right? It's it's not I don't want to put it in that same um that same playing field, but it's in it's in the parking lot. It's in the area of when UTEP beat Houston at home, right? And and that's just because the Cougars are ranked 12th in the nation, but everybody knows who UTSA is now. And for you to jump out 24 nothing, and really just score seven points since then, you get outscored 34 to uh, to seven to really close out the game. It's, it's just hard to, it's hard to swallow when you really look at it, because we look at the big wins that this team has at the rate that they're going, it's like you're lucky if you get one a season, but the way that they played throughout the year showed some chances of them being able to do some things. They just couldn't seal the deal. So when you're lucky, if you get one big win a season and you have a chance to get two, you got to do that, especially if you want to turn the tide of the program. So that was a really, really tough one to, uh, to look at Adrian, because it's 24, nothing with um, seven minutes left in the second quarter. But five minutes is, is just too much to leave UTSA to score two more touchdowns. Then we look at the um, at the third quarter, UTEP, uh, I believe they got the ball first, and they scored the touchdown with the Ray Flores. Things are looking better. It's 31-14. to 14. Then just these quick strikes, you know, these methodical drives, but these quick striking drives, 75 yards in two minutes, um, 30 yards in two minutes for UTSA. Then you look at um, one that was a 70-yard touchdown play to close out the third quarter. It just took them 12 seconds to tie the game up now it's basically zero zero at that point for the final quarter, and it just um, 
Oh, man, it, it's tough to look at. That's a win that I, I think a lot of people have, um, you know, in their rearview mirror as something that, if you're a fan, you regret that game too. I don't know how to explain it, but you really, really wish that one would have gone your way. Sal, uh, as we transition and look to 2023, fans are mixed. I feel like, and so are uh, non-fans, like media members too. They're mixed as well yeah. because I've seen the Miners picked as high as second by Phil Steele in his uh, in his book that he previews every single year. I've seen them as low as seventh and eighth on other publications out there. How do you see this year going for the Miners? If you had to give an early season prediction and even a record prediction, how do you feel like 2023 will go for the Miners? Oh, man, it's tough. I, I can give you – I'll give you floor, I'll give you ceilings, and I'll give you where I think they'll be at. I think, um, I think floor would probably be 3-9, and nine. Um, ceiling being 8-4. and four. I think they're going to hover at, at six and six um, just because we've seen this team at the helm under Demo. They've gotten better. I'm, I'm not disputing that. They have gotten better. But when it comes to sealing the deal and, and doing what you need to do when your backs are against the wall and there may not be any more games left, are you going to be able to do that? I just don't think we've seen it. So I, I'm going to say six and six. However, I will say this defense is a beast, and I'm really, really looking forward to what they can do because take me back to, um, to 2020 and 2021 where we saw what this defense could do and how great they were. Now they still have some of those guys on the team. Are you kidding me? And they've gotten better since then. I'm really excited to see what this defense can do. Sal, give me a minor talk prediction. Which is the game this year that you think the minor talk will go its longest? Now, we know that uh, obviously timing, uh, you know, actual mm-hmm. attention around the game itself plays a big part in it too. I think the time where I, I didn't know if we were going to stop getting phone calls was the actual bowl game uh, back in 2021 mm-hmm. when we were out there for the PUBG New Mexico Bowl and the Miners lost that game to Fresno State. I thought the phone lines would keep going like to this date. <laughs> Which is that game this year? Which is the one you're circling saying, hey, uh-huh. Selma, I, I, I got to be prepared. This one might be a late night. You know what, man? It's it's between two. I'll give you my, my top two. Number one, I'm going to say La Tech. Oh, because just yeah. Looking at this schedule, it fits the most out of everything. Um, it's a Friday night. It's a 7 o'clock game. But it's on CBS Sports Network. <laughs> so it's one of the, the big televised games. Jackson State as well. But that's an earlier game. I think that's the number one um, traction game that we'll get. And the other one... I want to say it's New Mexico State, but it being on a Wednesday, I, it's just hard to, to call it. Um, it's the 100th Battle of I-10. It should be, but it's a Wednesday night, and it's hard for me to get around that. So after that, I'm going to say the game against Western Kentucky will probably be um, the most minor talk game, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm just I'm gonna circle September 9th as a as a possible one. I'm gonna put an asterisk there because if you okay. t- if UTEP beats Northwestern on the road, by the way, they've they've been hit by a scandal, and of course they're coming in a little bit more shorthanded than you know than uh, they wouldn't otherwise. If yeah. they beat that team, that'd be the first time UTEP's ever beat a Power Five opponent in history. 
So that's one wow. thing. And if they beat Northwestern, there's a good chance they're 3-0 and going into Arizona the week after. So that's one right there that we've got to put a little asterisk on. Uh, it's an afternoon kickoff, a 1.30 game on the Big Ten Network. So that's one that we've got to put a little asterisk on in itself and then you know even you talk about the New Mexico State game on the Wednesday if that one goes sideways or if it goes a little it gets a little crazy then yeah even though it's a Wednesday I think fans will still be tuned in at some degree if it's on ESPN not necessarily going to the game or if it's uh, going to the game and reacting afterward that's definitely one uh, to put a note on as to maybe the longest one that we go off this year uh, regardless, Sal, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. It's another season of Minor Talk. We get real busy when it comes to the months of November and yeah, even uh, December because of the blend mm-hmm. between football and men's basketball, but we're here for it. I'm so excited to do another season with you, and uh, I'm ready to just get this going. August 26th couldn't come any faster. Bring it on, man. I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the offense can do. I know I was talking about the defense earlier, but uh, with Tyron Smith coming back, that's another weapon to play with. So if this, if the offense can put some points on the board um, more than they did last year and the defense can stick to their guns, uh, similar to last year and the year before, this season could be really, really special. So I'm looking forward to it, man. But, of course, that's the, the perfect recipe right there. But I'm no cook. Win, lose, or draw, we'll be here, right? <laughs> Win, lose, doesn't matter what oh, yeah. record they'll have. We'll be here. Exactly, exactly. Send us all your hashtags, too. (laughs) I love it. Let's do it. Hey, Sal, thanks again for doing this. You got it, Adrian. Thank you so much, man. Much love to you. Uh, Shout out to Zay, Taish, everybody who's in the mix. So super excited, man. Bring it on. All right, as we continue here with our Minor Talk podcast, want to welcome in the voice of the Miners and good friend of ours here on this station, John Teicher, who is in year 43. Year 43, John. Welcome in the studio, and thanks for joining us. You ready for year 43? Uh, when you put it in those terms, I'm not sure, but uh, you bet I am. It's an exciting time of year again. Uh, my on-air existence is basically from September through March, and then I go away for a few months, and uh, it's fun. It's always fun to come back. You know, it's so interesting because this college athletics year has been clouded by everything outside of sports. It's realignment, it's transfer portal, it's NIL, and unfortunately, John, that's the reality that we live in now here in 2023 and and you take us all the way back to the early 80s we didn't have to talk about things like nil or transfer portal realignments got out of control to the point where if you and i start talking about details for realignment today our news could be old by tomorrow how fast things are changing here in college athletics isn't it wild to well, see it? It, it is crazy and and again Intercollegiate athletics supposedly, supposedly are for the good of the student athlete is what we're seeing is what we're seeing in the best interest of the majority of student athletes. Oh, yeah, maybe for football players, perhaps for basketball players. But what about for baseball players? What about for volleyball student athletes? What about for softball players and all the other multitude of student athletes across the various sports is all of what we're seeing the very best for them. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure if that's the case. I also don't know if it does any service to the fans. I think now what we're seeing at the higher levels, the fans are really, really crying out and saying, well, wait, 
are, we're the ones getting shortchanged here with all of this. So I feel for the fans because whether they're investing loyalty in a player or a student athlete, loyalty within a university, or loyalty within a conference, it's hard to have any of that right now as a fan of college athletics. Well, it doesn't seem as though the programs themselves have much loyalty to their fan base. So how can you expect the fan base in turn to be loyal to the programs? I think it's becoming uh, increasingly challenging for fans to continue being loyal to individual programs. And I think that's a perfect segue for the UTEP football season and, and the team itself, because if you look at the program, John, and over over the years and over uh, the transfer portal era, as this has gotten so popular, Dana Dimmel's done a great job of keeping the nucleus intact year over year. And, I mean, I'll give you a great example, which you know very well. I mean, linebacker Tyrese Knight, who joins the team this year and, and rejoins the squad after maybe an offseason where he could have gone out and taken a Power 5 transfer portal offer, or he could have left for NIL money or opportunities, but instead he chose to stay at UTEP. And like him, there are a lot of stories like this within the UTEP football program of guys electing to stay instead of going on to another place. Well, over the last two years, with the exception of Jacob Cowing, who probably had accomplished everything he could here at UTEP, taking the offer at the University of Arizona, which I think was a, a great thing for him. And, of course, Jeremiah Byers uh, leaving this uh, past offseason for Florida State. How can you blame him for that? But, yeah, I think Dana and his staff have done a remarkable job, uh, for the most part, uh, hanging on to the kids that they brought to compete uh, here at uh, the University of Texas at El Paso. And I think part of it has to do with all of the junior college recruiting that Dana and his staff have done. I think that's allowed them to hang on to most of the of the great talent that's found its way to El Paso. You know, you hosted Minor Talk in its inception. I remember uh, jumping in my car and listening to Minor Talk with my dad. And uh, Are you sure you don't want it back? That's my first question before we get started with an exercise that I prepared for with you. You sure you don't want it back? And you sure you don't want to do this after the show? No, I'm, I'm, I'm too old for this stuff. It's, uh, it's for you <laughs> young guys, Adrian. Perfect vehicle for you. And you do a great job. Uh, thank with it too. you. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. You didn't have to say that, but I appreciate it. Hey, I we have so many topics, and so many callers have all these different thoughts about this football program, how they think they can fix it, or reasons and excuses why they don't support it. So, uh, I want to debunk some thoughts with you, and I, I just want to get your your take on everything. Maybe you side with some of the fans and some of their frustrations or, or what they have. But I want to get started with head coach Dana Dimmel because one of the first things, and you know, he he takes a lot of criticism from fans. And, you know, over the years, Dana Dimmel has taken this program to the heights of a bowl game and a winning season. And he's also had uh, organization programs that were 1-11 when he first started here at UTEP. But he's transformed this team and rebuilt it to what it is right now. One of the topics that fans always like to bring up and argue, is Dana Dimmel the guy? And then if he's if they lose, we quickly get Dana Dimmel should be fired. What would you say to fans who say stuff like that? Well, I, I think, first of all, you have to look at the history of this, of this program. You know, with, with, with rare exception, since I first started with UTEP in 1981, the Miners have been a program that has won – one, two, three, if they had a great season, maybe won four games. Uh, Bob Stull came in and, and took the program from four to seven to a program record, 10 victories. 
And then the program really didn't win again until uh, Gary Nord's first squad won a Western Athletic Conference uh, championship in, in, in 2000. And then the program proceeded to have three consecutive two-win seasons before Mike Price came in and had back-to-back eight victory campaigns. Well, it, it's been that way for UTEP football basically since the early 1970s. Uh, some brief pockets of success surrounded by programs and teams that were just incredibly inept. And you look what Dana's done since coming in. First of all, he inherited a program that was winless. He had two one-win seasons. He had a three-win season in a COVID-shortened year. He won seven games two years ago and went to a bowl game. I argue that the Miners should have been a bowl team a year ago. You, you take away that New Mexico game, they should have won. They probably should have won the Louisiana Tech game. It probably should have been a seven-win team and was only a five-win team and came up a, a victory short a year ago. So Dana, I think, has moved this thing in, in the right direction. And again, I, I think you've got to take a look at it. You know, when you consider the, the, the broader picture, but I think certainly Dana is moving things in the right direction. He and his staff, again, have, have done a tremendous job hanging on to their kids. I think they've done a tremendous job finding a niche, recruiting in the junior college ranks, evaluating the talent that he's bringing to El Paso, developing the talent that he's bringing here to town. And I think the Miners are on the verge. I think they're very possibly in the uh, reconfigured Conference USA being on the verge of something special. Yeah, and just to this point, I, I would just only, you know, I'd tell some of the fans who say, oh, well, th- they haven't had success or want to point out things like records and stuff. I would say, look, UTEP has now developed a brand of football, which in years past, they didn't really have an identity or they struggled to find that identity. You know what the identity is and you know the brand of football that UTEP rolls out year after year. And I think that also takes a lot for a coaching staff to develop. I think having that system in place developing pipelines for junior colleges and having that trust within coaches and players. I I think that takes time. And you know what? I tip my hat off to this coaching staff for actually building a brand of football here that is sustainable. Not just a brand, but I think culture as well. I think Dana has truly established his his culture of, of football here at UTEP, and it may have taken longer than the fans had hoped. But again, I, I think the Miners are on the verge of hopefully sustaining something that this fan base can be proud of. Okay, I've got a good one for you because this is something that I, I hear a lot, and, and Sal hears this as well. I don't go to the UTEP games because they always lose. That, it couldn't be further from the truth, uh, statistically speaking, from the past several years with Dana Dimble squads. Well, again, I, I think a lot of that has to do, again, with the, the history that I just talked about. Uh, I, I think it's, it's very, very difficult to overcome decades, decades of futility as this UTEP football program has had. And I, I think it takes more than just a year or two to overcome things like that. I think you've got to you've got to be bowl eligible for two straight years, which hasn't happened here at UTEP since when? I, when when is the last time UTEP went to a bowl game in consecutive seasons? In fact, you got to go back to Mike Price's first two years when they won eight and eight games. But that's the only time since the 1960s that that has been uh, even a possibility. So. I, I, again, I, I think it's going to take a little more consistent accomplishment for that type of sentiment to be 
at least permanently eradicated. You know, another thing is over the course of the last three years, the Miners are, what, 11-3 and three at the Sun Bowl, which is pretty impressive when you just think about it. If you're going to the Sun Bowl watching the Miners, odds will tell you that you're going to probably watch a winning product. Now, I understand they the next uh, phase and transition of UTEP football is winning on the road, and that's something that they want to accomplish this year. But at home, at least statistically, they've, they've had a really nice record. And I've always contended that the Sun Bowl is a very challenging place for visiting programs to play. It's not an easy place to get to. I've always felt that uh, the football fans uh, here in El Paso uh, know what they're looking at. They understand uh, good football. They understand effort. Uh, and uh, and generally speaking, I, I think uh, UTEP football fans, uh, regardless of the size of the crowd, have always been behind their minors. Uh, let's talk players specifically. This is coming from fans. Talking about quarterback Gavin Hardison. Questioning, is he the guy? Questioning, can he take them to that next level and maybe help them finally win a bowl game, which hasn't been done since 1967 here at UTEP? What do you say to those fans right there? Because I, I can understand with fans harping on things like maybe red zone touchdown efficiency, which UTEP struggled with last year. And even, you know, to some extent, the per, uh, passing percentage by Gavin Hardison and even turnovers from Hardison. How, how do you assess his play? Well, you know, I, again, I, I think Gavin has, it, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of up and down to get to this particular point. He started more than 30 games now here at UTEP and more so than any other position on the football field. Experience is so critical at, uh, at quarterback. So I, I think, I think Gavin is poised assuming he stays healthy, to have his very best season yet. Certainly everything points to that. A veteran, experienced offensive line, which essentially start, uh, returns all five starters. Uh, his, his top receiver uh, back in, in, in Tyron Smith. Deion Hankins, an accomplished uh, running back, and plenty more behind him as well. So I think all the ingredients are there. That being said, I think Gavin has to take a step in his game, and I think he's poised to do so. Got to get the completion percentage up. Uh, he's been in the mid to low 50s during his entire time at UTEP. I think if not at 60%, he's got to be close to 60% uh, this year. I think his decision-making can improve. Anybody's decision-making can improve. There are a couple of things that I think are really going to help this year with a change of offensive coordinators and uh, Scotty O'Hara, who uh, tutors the minor wide receivers now, also uh, coordinating uh, the offense. Uh, what we've found now is that Coach Dimmel himself, the play caller, is spending more time with the quarterbacks and the receivers in particular. And I think if you're going to have success as an offense, I think it's very, very significant, very, very important for there to be a synergy between the one calling the plays and those people executing those plays. And Coach Dimmel has just basically been the head coach aside from Gavin Hardison's play caller during his first four years at UTEP. Well, this year, for the very first time, not only is Coach Dimmel calling plays, but he's spending a lot of time in the quarterback meetings and the receivers meetings and the joint meetings between the receivers and the quarterbacks. And I think that's got a chance to make a huge difference. And, and you know, we talk a lot about history, uh, John. The one thing that UTEP hasn't had, I mean, you, you look past uh, this past decade, they haven't had consistent quarterback play year over year. So what Gavin Hardison offers is continuity at the quarterback position. He offers a veteran leader at that position and also somebody who has that experience like you talked about. 
over 30 games started under your belt, that means a lot for a fifth-year quarterback going into his final year. No, I, everything is pointing to Gavin having his very best season at uh, that particular position. But that being said, uh, he's got to go out there and get it done. He's got to uh, become a little more uh, proficient in his decision-making and, uh, and, and get that uh, completion percentage up at or in the vicinity of, of 60%. If he can do that, I think uh, the Miners have a chance to have a banner season. You handled all those fans, uh, the harder fans' questions very well, so that that's easy right there. Now I have questions for you as preparation for this season because this is a rare year where four of the 12 games uh, will not be on Saturdays like they typically are, including three consecutive Wednesday games. How does your prep change during, for those midweek games uh, that we have here coming in October? Uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, to put it uh, mildly, but uh, again, we yeah, we tend to be creatures of habit. And it's a seven-day week, and maybe you take uh, a Sunday off, and, and that would be a Thursday, I guess, if you're playing the three Wednesday games uh, in October. But other than that, uh, you use the rest of the time on those other six days uh, pretty similarly. So I, I think that uh, once I get acclimated to the fact that, again, we're playing those uh, – those three Wednesday games and the one on uh, on Friday, and we've had the you know the Thursday and Friday games from time to time. Uh, it'll be a, a fairly uh, it'll be a fairly uh, quick uh, quick adjustment. Uh, well, I'll be circling October 11th, uh, and we talked about this off air, but that will be your 500th game calling UTEP football broadcasts. Uh, that will be on the road against Florida International, also on a Wednesday. Uh, but what does that mean, Taish, that you get to look back and reflect that you've done 500 UTEP football games as of uh, this year? Yeah, I've enjoyed each and every one of them, Adrian. Again, there's been a, some success. There's been far more of uh, non-success within the UTEP program over those years. But I, I so enjoy the, the, the preparation and just the, the spectacle that each uh, uh, game day brings, and that hasn't changed. And I guess I'll know it's time to hang them up when I don't have the excitement of the game day looming on the horizon. So um, I'm still as excited or even more so for game day than, than I ever was. So uh, that, I think that's a pretty good sign. Uh, speaking of milestones, the week right after is the 100th anniversary of the Battle of I-10 between the Miners and uh, the Aggies, now in the same conference in Conference USA. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this year knowing that uh, the Aggies are in CUSA and we get to see them not only in football but all the sports across the board for the Miners in Conference USA. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting thing certainly for the fans first time in uh, what more than 60 years that the Miners and the Aggies have uh, have played under the same uh, conference banner so I think it's going to la- add a little uh, extra excitement to the uh, the I-10 rivalry and uh, the first one being in the uh, Sun Bowl on October the 18th uh, a Wednesday night with the uh, a national audience uh, paying attention. I think it'll be fun. Uh, last thing I want to mention to our listeners uh, before we wrap things up here is every week we'll be talking to you uh, from various locations for another season of UTEP football with Dana Dimmel. It's the radio show that you do weekly. And I always love it, uh, John, because we get a chance to actually learn a little bit more about the team and some of the players who end up joining you throughout the season. Uh, tell our listeners what to expect for the radio show. I know that they 
say here it after sports talk each and every week, but it's a great primer every week before the big game. Yeah, and we're going to have it at the same two locations at Moon Tower Sports Bar uh, right around the corner from UTEP and at uh, Hudson's on the east side of town. Most of the shows will be on Tuesdays. We will have uh, two Friday shows and a Monday show in advance of the uh, Wednesday games in October. Wow. Uh, but other than that, on uh, on Tuesdays, and again, uh, it's uh, really your, your one opportunity to spend uh, – uh, more than just a couple of minutes uh, listening to Coach Dimmel and his thoughts on uh, what transpired, what's coming up uh, within the program. And again, we always enjoy the uh, student-athletes uh, joining us as well to give us uh, their thoughts as to uh, as to how they see uh, UTEP football at the present time. Well, I hope that year 43 for you, John, can be the year where UTEP snaps that bowl game losing streak and, and wins one for the first time since 1967, and more importantly, just has success this year. I, I just hope for the Miners to have some success for the fans and for the student-athletes and the coaches. They worked really hard throughout the offseason up to this point. Well, and that's it. It's the student-athletes, it's it's the coaches, it's the fans. Uh, it's It's been such a long time since... Uh, since this program has experienced a bold victory, and, and certainly the uh, the possibility of doing that, I think, would be uh, would be something that uh, would motivate uh, all of us uh, heading into 2023. Thanks again, John. We'll talk to you all season. All right, Adrian. Thanks. All right, continuing here with the Minor Talk podcast, previewing the entire season. Uh, joining me now is my tag team partner, the host of Sports Talk, Steve Kaplowitz. Uh, Steve, I asked this to John, but I'm going to ask it to you. Uh, are you sure you don't want Minor Talk? I asked the, that was my first question. I asked him. Are you sure you don't want it? I mean, we're entering year five, season five. We could all do it. It could be you, me. We could invite Jason Craig. We could do Sal Montes, Utep Zay. You sure you, you you're uh, not up for this? I'm tempted. I am tempted to say yes because. For some reason, uh, this show, Minor Talk, is, and I've told this to everybody, this is the hottest show on the 600 ESPN El Paso lineup every year. There is no show hotter. And if you're a radio broadcaster, you want to do the biggest thing we have, and that would be Minor Talk. So trust me when I tell you that I am tempted, and I've hosted Minor Talk. I've hosted Minor Talk for 20-something years. I go back to the 90s when we did this radio show, and it was fun then. It's fun now. But as tempting as it is, since we brought this back as your baby, uh, you're the host. So I feel like, nope, uh, you do a great job with it. I'm not going to interfere. I might call in from time to time or pop in as a guest, but no, this is your this is your baby. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that, but I also love when you drop in for minor talk from time to time, make a cameo appearance. Um, I. I'll shift it right, and let's just jump right into UTEP, because last year you and I were pretty bullish on the team, and I think you and I, I was listening to our preview podcast yesterday of what we thought last year. You and I were really high on the team. I think the entire community was really excited about last year's football team as well, and they fell way uh, short of expectations, and one of the red flags that you and I pointed out was just history catching up with UTEP, road games being inconsistent, and just how they can't seem to win when they're away from the Sun Bowl, and that's exactly what happened last year. They were five and seven. Uh, you thought, or I thought, eight and four. You thought seven and five. And both of us were were pretty excited about last year's team. Now, knowing what we've seen last year in 2022, going into this year, how do you view things? Because I, I feel like there's no expectations whatsoever on this team. None. 
I mean, it's so weird what a difference a year makes. And, you know, they're only two games short of, of what they did in 2021. But it feel, I feel like this season, yeah, expectations are down. Now, some people have UTEP pick second in the conference. Some people think they're going to win eight games or more. Others believe, well, five and maybe six if they're lucky. So I feel like that five to seven or eight range is, is where we're at. And I like the fact that... This team is, again, kind of flying under the radar because I felt like last season there were so much expectations. Got the best of them. Got the best of them from week one when they lost to North Texas. Now, with everybody they have coming back and not being as hot and trendy a pick as they were a year ago, maybe Dana Dimmel would rather just fly under the radar as opposed to be one of the teams to beat. Yeah, and I think handling prosperity was really tough for last year's group. I, I just don't feel like... I think they thought they did something and they accomplished something, and I think the coaching staff wanted to set the expectations like, look, they didn't They didn't have that success. They went, Sure, they made it to a bowl game. They won seven games in 2021, but they didn't win that bowl game, and success to this team should be contending for a CUSA championship. And they also only won one game in the second half of the season back in 2021 they started out hot and when the schedule was tougher they didn't do well so if you really want to go and 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 look back I mean you know last season they've had plenty of chances to win six or more and they came up on the short end of the stick which is one of the reasons why I hope this season they not only win the games they're supposed to win but maybe they win a game or two that they're supposed to lose because if they do that then they'll put themselves in in really good position uh last year we kind of gave out the rules for picking UTEP games and I think one of the rules that we talked about is never overlook NMSU and you look at this season going into it, uh, New Mexico State was the team when you look at the Battle of I-10 who actually made it to a bowl game but actually won it as well. Jerry Kill had a lot of success in year one so when we're handicapping this UTEP football season, can't look overlook uh, NMSU whatsoever. No, I mean, look, they were picked ahead of UTEP in the preseason media poll. I mean, New Mexico State is fifth, UTEP is sixth. So the media believes, at least this media, the conference media, that uh, that New Mexico State's going to have a better season than UTEP will. So that's something to note. Um, and you're right. The, the, the fascinating thing about Jerry Kill's team is he's never had a year one season in any of his rebuilds where he comes out of the gate, wins six or more, goes bowling. He did that this time around, and he won a bowl game. He has set the bar higher than any other stop in his coaching career as far as a group of five schools that he's turned around. So that's going to be uncharted territory for him is how do you top winning seven, including a bowl game, if you're Jerry Kill and the Aggies? So our job is to try to pick out this entire season and to pick out wins or losses for UTEP. One of the other things that we should note is UTEP's having a big change in special teams this year. I mean, offensively, sure, they, they should take a step forward from last year. They were not a good team when it comes to red zone touchdown efficiency. Defensively, I want this team to be more aggressive and force more turnovers. But in special teams, I'm worried that this team could lose games based on their inexperience at the kicking position when it's all said and done. I am too. Uh, this does concern me in a big way. They got a redshirt freshman in Buzz Flabiano, who's going to be their kicker. And, and as of now, from what I'm hearing, he's about 70% accurate in practice. And we all know that games are a little different than practice. So if he went up to 80 or 85% in practice, you probably would feel better about it. But 70 might mean 
50 or 55%, maybe 60% in game situations, which means you miss four out of every 10 kicks, which could be a problem, especially if they're in a tight game and it could force the offense to go for it more than, than get the three points. Look, we're taking Gavin Beckley for granted because he was automatic last season. He missed two field goals in what was the first game of the season and the other was the last game of the season. So everything in between he connected on. And the good news is they'll have a freshman kicker who will be there for the next three or four years, and he'll get better and better. But with this team being such a veteran team, you really want a veteran kicker because it's so important, especially if the game hangs in the balance and uh, you've got a do-or-die with a redshirt freshman kicker. And the other thing that we've flagged last year is maybe like a potential warning sign for UTEP is sometimes they just go on the road and they leave it all at in El Paso. It's like they didn't even go on that road trip. Last year, it was New Mexico. I was like, what team was that from UTEP? I watched that game and they, they, that should have been a win for UTEP knowing uh, what the Lobos finished at uh, in the Mountain West. And this year, you just kind of have to put one of these games with an asterisk. Like, they might not have it coming away from El Paso. No, you're right. Um, Listen, if this team can go on the road, though, and play well and show you that they're a different road team, that could be all the difference in the world from having another five-win season to going back to a bowl and possibly even winning one. All right, let's do it. Let's go game by game, and let's break this down with wins or losses. And we'll we'll uh, final this up with um, our tally, and let's see what we come up with. So, let's do it. game one, week zero at Jacksonville State. Head coach Rich Rodriguez. He led him to a nine and two season last year. They have a good run game going into this year, and this will be their FBS debut. They're transitioning from FCS up to FBS, joining Conference USA this year for the first time. You know those fans will be right up can you see them winning a home game or do you have UTEP winning this one I mean listen Rich Rodriguez is a he's a football coach he knows what he's doing and sometimes guys uh, you know teams like Jacksonville State is exactly what Rich Rod needs um, I am going to be so interested to see what happens uh, in terms of the um, you know the first game because everything is about that first impression and what will happen and they went nine and two last year and You know, uh, they have nine starters back on offense, seven on defense. That's a lot. This is a team that has been pegged in their jump up to Conference USA to be last. I don't necessarily know if Jacksonville State is going to be as as struggle as much as people think. And I'll tell you something else. This is going to probably be a much tougher game for UTEP than people would expect because it's their first game, Adrian. And you know what? I watched UTEP's first game against North Texas last year, and they were not the same team against UTSA as they showed in that North Texas game. They lacked on both sides of the ball against North Texas. They were much better uh, at the end of the year. So this one worries me a little bit. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Miners are going to win, but I think that it's not going to be as easy a game as some people might think. Yeah, I I can totally understand that one. I'm picking the Miners to win this one. I think it could be a lot closer than expected as well, and I I feel like it's the difference for UTEP has to be their run game. They have to ground and pound uh, Jacksonville State, uh, sustain those long drives, and then cap them off with scores. I mean, this could remind a lot of fans of that Abilene Christian 20-13 win that the Miners had in the pandemic shortened season uh, three seasons ago, so I think that that's what this one could end up being when it's all said and done. Week two, Incarnate Word, home opener for the 
the Miners. I don't see them losing this one, but I will point out the last three head coaches from Incarnate Word have all gone on to do good things at the FBS level. Uh, their previous head coach is now the new head coach at Texas State, and now they're coming into this one with high expectations with a 29-year-old head coach. Yeah, they are, and I think this will give UTEP uh, trouble as well, even though it's the first home game, although it's all about confidence. And understand that the Miners have been very good at home these last three years. I don't want to say they're automatic, but they, for the most part, take care of business and win. And given their schedule and who's going to be on the schedule later in the year, I could see them, again, maybe struggling initially out of the gate, but then putting it together and defeating Incarnate Word. Um, it's going to be another dangerous game. I don't like these games. These are tra- these are trap games, if you ask me. They really are. But with what UTEP has coming up following this game, they need to look good, especially if they're a little shaky on the road against Jacksonville State, who, remember, has Zion Webb. He's back at quarterback for like his seventh year. Yeah. Guy's been there forever, and he's always been associated with a winner at Jacksonville. So if he gives the Miners trouble and then they go into Incarnate Word, it's almost like fans are going to want to see the team play well given what they have coming up uh, down the road. Yeah, I mean, if you go into that week three, anything worse than 2-0, and that's not a good sign. I mean, going 1-1 yeah. and or, I mean, you know, God help them, 0-2 oh going yeah. into that week three against a Power 5 team like Northwestern, that that is a recipe for disaster. But I could see 1-1. One one. I think they'll be 2-0, and but hey, if they split these first two games, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. We all know UTEP, and we know that nothing's easy, so I could see a 1-1 one one football team after two weeks, but I'm going to still say 2-0. and uh, September 9th at Northwestern, that will be a mid-afternoon afternoon game out there and then a September 16th game at Arizona that's a late night game uh, for the Miners to face off uh, the Wildcats I t- I don't have UTEP winning against either of these power five schools will you pick them against either of them to win their first ever game against a power five team yeah I'm gonna pick them against Northwestern I don't think listen if you're gonna put a power five team on the schedule This is about as good an opportunity as you're ever going to have in in college football. You've got a team that is down following a scandal. You have a team that's lost a ton of players. You've lost uh, your coach and everything else. And I mean, if there was ever a time to play Northwestern, this is it. And it's not exactly like they're world beaters anyway. So if UTEP plays well in these first two games, comes out hungry, I can see them defeating Northwestern and winning that first game against the Power Five. I don't think they beat Arizona. I think that the Wildcats, with, with uh, again, uh, a former uh, UTEP minor in Cowing who's going to probably want to have a big game against his, his old team, I think they're going to be too much for the Miners, despite all the Pac-12 um, you know, disintegration over the past uh, few days. So I still think Arizona beats the Miners, but I could see them in, 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 a, in a situation where they beat Northwestern, which means they're either going to be 3-1 and one or 2-2, two and two, depending on how they do in those first two games. Yeah, and we're so invested in the fan reaction to that because if they're 3-1 and one, or if they have three wins under their belt going into that uh, late September game against UNLV, well, that'll mean great for attendance, yeah. and that'll do really well for the Miners because the month of 
October, you have all those uh, weeknight games, and you're having to battle against that for fan attendance, and then you transition that into the month of November where it's just hard to get fans out there in general in the month of November. So that September, late September game against UNLV will be so important to watch to see what kind, what kind of fan turnout they'll get for that game. Well, if they're 3-1, and one, I think they'll get 30000 or more for UNLV, and I think they're going to win that game. So it's crazy, but best-case scenario, I see the Miners 4-1 and one at that point. They could be 3-2 and two, even if they beat UNLV. But the sad part is if they're 2-2 two and two, going up against UNLV, they'll probably be the usual 15,000 or so because that would mean that they've lost two games against either Northwestern, Arizona, Jacksonville State, or Incarnate Word. And if it's against the first two opponents, uh, it's going to leave a bad taste in the mouth of some UTEP fans. So if you want a big crowd for UNLV, you got to be ready to come out 3-1. and one. And like I said, historically speaking, they're good at home. So I could see, you know, I think they're going to beat UNLV. Yeah, I have them beating UNLV as well. And I think the the time before when they uh, went out to Vegas and lost, I think that kind of was a wake-up call to this regime, this coaching regime, to not take uh, that UNLV program lightly. So I think they'll be uh, better prepared this time around at their home uh, location. Yeah. And they'll want to beat another Mountain West opponent. That'll be back-to-back seasons with wins against a Mountain West team, last year being Boise State, obviously losing to New Mexico early that last year. But this year, having an opportunity against UNLV, that, that does well for the Miners. I'm with you on that one. So think about it. I've got them at 4-1, and one, best case scenario, 3-2, and two, kind of most likely. Uh, where are you at, 3-2 and two right yeah, now? I'm at 3-2 and two right okay. now, and then we start really looking at Conference USA. So Let's then this is a Friday home game against Louisiana Tech. Uh, home games on Fridays are just tough. I mean, they drew just over, I think it was like 12,000 against Boise State last year when they had it on a Friday. This time, the Bulldogs come to town on a Friday afternoon and it's a familiar face speaking of that Friday game Hank Bachmeyer has transferred over from Louisiana Tech and now he's leading uh, the charge with the Bulldogs this year how do you see this game going again I don't think it's going to be an easy game remember Louisiana Tech still has Smoke Harris who's been around forever you mentioned Bachmeyer that's a big deal we know what's happened with him in the past but uh, Louisiana Tech has been a beatable team for UTEP in, in recent seasons and I don't think this is going to be any different right now. I know they have Sonny Cumbie, um, but I look at this team as somebody that is definitely a, a winnable game for the Miners. They've got 12 of their 22 starters back. That means they have 10 new players. And when we saw Bachmeyer against UTEP, they weren't afraid of him. Not at all. In fact, I thought they played well against him given the Fresno offense that they faced that day in the New Mexico Bowl. So once again, I think it's a game that could be close. But uh, I'll give UTEP the, uh, the the dub here. Me too. I have UTEP winning this one, uh, so that would put you at five and one for the Miners. I've got them at four and two right here. But I also see the light, uh, actually a bright spot here for the Miners. I feel like their schedule softens mm. in the month of October when they have those weeknight games, and it's a real opportunity for the Miners to string along a win streak. You look at Florida International, that's a road game on October 11th. Then it's the 100th anniversary of the Battle of I-10 the week after, and then they close out the month of 
October at Sam Houston State, which I think is very winnable this year for the Miners. So how do you see the month of October going? I think they'll go two and one. I, I just don't look if they're at that point, what would they be? Five and one heading into that stretch? Yes. I can't see them going eight and one. I just if they're eight and one, it's gonna be the talk of the town. I mean, they'll have forty thousand fans in the Sun Bowl, and it's gonna be all some everybody's talking about. Even seven and two, let's be honest. That's a good record for UTEP after nine games, and I still think the fans would be pretty much energized at that point. But FIU, beatable road game for UTEP. Sam Houston State, same situation. I mean, you know, you, you think about Casey Keeler and what he's done over the years. Hey, it's not going to be an easy schedule for them. They've got to start with BYU Air Force in Houston and seven road games overall, and they might get banged up in those games. Who knows what they're going to be like by the time Sam Houston State gets to Conference USA. So I'll I'll say they'll slip up in one of these games, whether it's FIU, I could see that potentially. Um, I don't think about Sam Houston State, uh, and then the Aggies, which is always going to be a fun game too, because of the fact that it's the rivalry and 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 you know the, just the natural um, you know, fan turnout for a game like that. So I'll say at that point again, the Miners have two losses, but a lot of excitement around town. Yeah, I have them. I'm I'm going to be high on them in the month of October. I have them sweeping the month of October. Which is not, uh, you know, that is not conducive with history. No. History would say that is not correct whatsoever. I feel like they could beat FIU on the road. And if they could take care of business against Jerry Kill's squad against uh, New Mexico State at home, then they're poised for that Sam Houston State to close out the month of October. So, both of us have them at 7-2 and two going mm. into November. Uh, we picked different games, but this is where I think it starts to get pretty difficult for the Miners. Yep. It's a home game to start off the month of November against Western Kentucky, which, by the way, a lot of people pick Western Kentucky to come out of Conference USA as uh, the bell cow and, and maybe to win this conference when it's all said and done. This could be a shootout, okay, because... Western Kentucky has all their offensive weapons back, but they only have four starters back on defense. So we could see the, just the, the Sun Bowl lighting up in this game. And I think a lot of us for Western Kentucky's game will depend on the progress of the UTEP defense at that point. If the minor defense comes out and by then, that point of the season, what, nine games in, looks like the best unit in Conference USA, this place is going to be electric. Can you imagine... 40,000 to watch UTEP Western Kentucky and what could be a battle for the overall championship of the Sun Bowl. In that regard, I give the Miners the edge. I think it's going to be a terrific game, but like I've told you before, they always seem to come out ready in these big, big games. They did it last year against Boise. They'll do it again against Western Kentucky. It's going to be a fun game in the Sun Bowl. I'll give the Miners the edge here. Nice. Okay, so I have them drop in this game. I think I'm like you. I think it's going to be a lot of fireworks. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if the Miners will be able to keep up up when it's all said and done. So I'm, I'm going to say that this is where that win streak is snapped. I, I called the win streak here in the month of October. This is where it gets snapped against Western Kentucky at home to start off the month of November, which then leads to the road game against Middle Tennessee. This is one that Dana Dimmel wanted last year badly. I, I, he felt like they should have beat the Blue Raiders, and it's hard to um, knock him as to why. I thought that that team should have beaten Middle Tennessee last year at home. This time you have to go on the road to face Rick Stockstill 
and that team. Uh, Middle Tennessee also finished out last year going 4-2 and two to close out the season, which was uh, positive for that team. So well, how do you see this game going? Uh, listen, I, I don't think the Miners win this game. And, and I have to see, though, because they're going to have a new quarterback. They're gonna, they've lost their top three receivers, but they've got eight starters back on defense, and they have all their offensive linemen back, which means whoever's quarterbacking is going to have some, some protection. Um, the question is going to be their quarterback play. If Middle Tennessee does not get good quarterback play up until this point, then it doesn't matter how many guys you've got back. It's going to be a little bit of some trouble. But I don't know. I mean, the thing is this. If the Miners come off a win against Western Kentucky, the emotions on this team will be flying through the roof. But again, I feel like they have to slip up at some point. So for me, despite the 8-2 and two mark and, and then beating uh, Western Kentucky, I think they fall here to uh, what could be a tough Middle Tennessee State team on the road. Yeah, and I just think that like other teams who could get banged up, I mean the Miners could be dealing with injuries at this point of their own. It's just the, the wear and tear of the season and as you get to November, how you kind of try to close out the year. Um, yeah, Dana Dimmel's squads typically or historically have not been good in November, so I'm going to pick them to lose this game on the road and that leads us to the final game now you have them going into this game eight and three I have them right now seven and four are you going to pick this team to go nine and three to close out the season at uh, against Liberty at home I mean like I told you earlier they play well at home they just do and Liberty is a team that lost their head coach and if you look at some of their, uh, you know, the way they shape up into this game, they don't have a solid running game at this point, and they're kind of average across the board in the other positions compared to the rest of Conference USA. That, to me, is the ingredients for a winnable game for UTEP. So, yeah, I mean, I could see them being 9-3, and three, and if they do that, they could find themselves as crazy as it sounds uh, right there at the, you know, the, at the top of Conference USA when it's all said and done. I, history just won't let me pick them. Mm-hmm. At home, I, I gotta pick the loss. And this one, I, I talked about a special teams loss. Maybe this is it. And maybe they win this game. And maybe it's a, another game in October that they end up slipping. But I just can't pick them to go eight wins, even though they've given me every reason as to why. You, we, after talking this out, I feel better about nine and three than I do picking seven and five. If there was ever a season for this team to turn the corner and have a magical year, it's this one. I mean, think about it. They've got everybody back. They got a ridiculous offensive line. They're loaded at running back. They got their top receiver back. They got their top quarterback back. They've got a crazy defensive line. They've got good linebackers. The defensive backs are all coming back. Now, let me say this. Nine wins is in a perfect scenario if everybody stays healthy. That never happens. So when you start to factor in key injuries at some point of the season, it gets dicey. They've got a little room to recover if you lose a running back because they've got so much depth. But if you lose Gavin Hardison, then what? you got an inexperienced quarterback running the show. If you lose Tyron Smith, then what? Because you don't have anybody that's ever been a 1,000-yard receiver. If you lose one of your offensive or defensive linemen, then what? So that's the issue. When we pick these games, you got to pick them if everything goes to plan and they stay healthy. I think they're a nine-win team if they don't suffer major injuries along the way. And look at what Conference USA is showing us this year. It's taking a step down in terms of overall productivity. Maybe the rest of the conference catches up when it's all said and done. But like you said, if there's ever a year to feel extremely, I guess, um, you know, positive about the, the overall record for UTEP, it's this year. And my biggest concern is... If they're in a nail-biter and they need that chip-shot field goal down the stretch, you've got someone with no experience trying to kick it through. That worries me 
Because I almost feel like this season, there could be at least one game where a field goal is the difference. And whether or not they miss a few early and choose to go for it rather than kick it later in the game, or they set a kicker up and he misses the kick or gets it blocked or whatever happens, that that could also deflate this team. With all the great junior college transfers that Dana Dimmel has brought on board, this year a redshirt freshman is going to be the starting kicker heading into the season. That is a concern for me right now because I almost wish they had a little more experience at field goals so that way you knew you're not going to have uh, be missing Gavin Beckley that much with all the experience back at every other spot. Yeah, it just that worries me as well. I, I think it, it could uh, really cost some game, multiple games, maybe not just one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that, Steve. Uh, last year also taught us you can't play catch-up if you're UTEP. They, they lost too many games early to where they were trying to – uh, get their record back on track later than it actually should have been, and and they put it put them uh, they put themselves in that situation for a must win game against UTSA. That's a lot of pressure to put on a team. Not to mention you're up twenty four nothing. You should have won that game and closed it out. You're right. And the good news is this team, I feel like, has enough weapons on the offensive side coming back where if you get a big lead, you can keep putting your foot on the gas and not take it off to possibly let a team back in. You got terrific running backs. You got your most experienced quarterback is in his fourth year. Again, no reason why things should not go well for Utah. Okay, so you feel good about 9-3? and three? No, I never. I listen. I never feel good when it comes to a season. I hate season. doing these. I do too. I do too because I feel again perfect world. It's never a perfect world. Something always happens that changes the landscape of everything. The question is going to be how long until that happens. When you look back and go, well, didn't didn't think that was happening. I guess we're gonna have to reflect back on it. Thanks again, Steve. Thanks for joining us. All right. Right, as we continue here with the Minor Talk podcast, let's close it out right with the newest member of Minor Talk. He is Zay Galindo, and uh, most of you know him on Twitter as UTEP Zay. He is joining us uh, now officially over a year within our radio station. He's already a year in. Um, he's entering his junior year in high school. Zay is coming to us fired up, ready for another season of UTEP football. Zay, we made it official on Twitter earlier this week, and just to uh, reiterate it again, you're part of the team for Minor Talk. We're really fired up. Take me back all the way to last summer when when you and I first kind of met up and, and we were talking about working together, collaborating, and now reflecting at, as to where you're at right now. What is it? What does it kind of feel like personally? I just want to hear from you. Um, a lot of our listeners love you. Uh, they follow all the, the stuff that you post all over social media, and they lean on you for UTEP news. So what does it feel like kind of a year later uh, being in the position here where you're at right now? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I still remember the first time you called me. I was at a park with my friends. I was so excited. You know, I had this opportunity, and um, I never envisioned myself here, but, I mean, I love it. I and mean, this is amazing. I'm getting to cover, you know, a team that I've been looking up to, watching for years, and now I'm able to cover it as an, uh, from the media uh, point of view. So it's amazing, and I'm happy that uh, I have a platform that I can uh, help share with other people. I can share my, my love for college athletics and uh, share the stats that I find. So um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really blessed to be in this position. 
Well, I, I brag about you all the time. You've earned all of this, and uh, I'm just really proud of you as to what you're doing at such a young age. But, I mean, age is really nothing. You've you've earned all of these opportunities yourself. We're not putting you in this position because you're a certain age. It's because you've worked hard to do it. So, again, hats off to you. Let's jump into it. Let's talk some rising newcomers or rising players on this UTEP football team going into 2023. And I've written about a lot of these guys, but now I want to kind of step back and reflect on it because we could go position by position. We can talk about the entire depth chart, but I want to highlight some key positions that I feel like UTEP needs. And so I'm going to give you a player. I want you to react, and then I'm going to ask you for your player, and we're just going to kind of go back and forth. I want to mix it up with both offensive and defensive players, and let's uh, let's just jump into it. So the first name I'm going to throw your way is somebody from your school. He is Julian Lopez, who is going to to take on a bigger role this year. Uh, Dana Dimmel, before the year started, he described him as this year's Ray Flores. And I think that that might be a little too far-fetched and, and maybe too high of expectations to place on a first-year player like Julian Lopez, who hasn't really had extended playing time. But when you watch how he's used at practice and you see him run with the ones and the twos, you can kind of see it from Julian Lopez. He has something to his game. He is a fullback slash H-back slash offset tight end who can help the minors this season. And I think he's somebody who maybe is not going to put up massive stats like Ray Flores, but somebody who can be reliable in the run-blocking game, can be a nice outlet pass for Gavin Hardison or just another weapon that they can use in their offense. Yeah, you know, Julian Lopez is, like you said, he's he's not really a newcomer, but he hasn't seen the field. He hasn't seen playing time. So um, I'm really excited to see how he looks in an actual game. But in practice, I mean, like you said, the way they use him, he's in the backfield, you know, he's lining up in that H-back position. And in a Dana Dimmel offense, I mean, you need a guy like that. You need a guy who can block, catch, he can do it all from that position. So I'm really excited to see uh, how he looks. Uh, obviously, I love supporting guys from El Paso that, uh, you know, have stuck stuck to the uh, stuck to the grind. They've stuck to, you know, how, how they're going to get onto the field. And um, I'm excited to see him. To your point, it's so easy for El Paso guys or any guys to join the UTEP program and then transfer out after a year or two if maybe not seeing the field. And especially for Julian Lopez, I mean, he's a walk-on and he earned his scholarship. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy for this guy. All right, throw a name at me. Okay, so um, uh, like we were talking about, Julian Lopez, you know, he's fullback, H-back, maybe even a tight end. I'm going to throw another tight end that, you know, UTEP picked up late in the recruiting cycle. It's New Mexico State transfer Keegan Heckman. He actually came in as a quarterback. Um, I got, I was able to watch. Uh, I was actually on TikTok the other day, and I saw this guy make a video about him. And um, he's just very versatile. He he's a quarterback coming out of high school. He does so much on the field, and um, he's a little undersized. He's six one two twenty, but he can do it all. I mean, he moves crazy. So I don't know if he's going to get into. Uh, onto the field early in the year, but I can definitely see him making a difference down the stretch. Okay, so to your point, and I, I love the name. This is out of left field, so you're starting off uh, on the right foot first off, so I love the name uh, that you bring up. Keegan Heckman is somebody who, hey, if you need, if you're somebody who wants to get 
on the field, if you want to be noticed by coaches, you have to have success in the special teams, uh, you know, on special teams. You have to go all out on special teams, and you need to get reps on special teams in an actual game. So I look at this guy, redshirt freshman, like you said, Hampshire, Texas is where he's from, but he was he started at New Mexico State, 6-1, and they're using him as a tight end, but he's played all, all across the offense. I just want to see him on the field. So number 32, Keegan Heckman, great name right there uh, to mention as somebody who maybe could see the – maybe not this year as far as his involvement in the offense, but there's no reason why he can't be leaned on in the special teams game moving forward. So great name right there. I'll throw another one at you. Uh, and I'm talking about his performance in uh, – or I should say on the defense and what we could expect this year. This is a name that a lot of people have been hearing um, over the course of fall camp and somebody who's really stood out to me that is Amir Boyd Matthews redshirt freshman who's entering the season kind of in a weird uh, position because last year he was just thrown in the mix, say. he was. It was kind of like Elijah Johnson three years ago where he was thrown in the mix after never really seeing the field against UTSA when they had uh, the pandemic uh, shortened season and they were down secondary members. So Elijah Johnson subs in that year in 2020 without having a lot of experience on the field. Well, similarly, Amir Boyd Matthews kind of did the same thing. He stepped in as a true freshman. He started the last three games at the cornerback position and – even though he had some nice reps, he got exposed at times. He got to kind of see the good and the bad from Amir Boyd-Matthews. But after talking to him at practice, you can kind of see the fire that he has in order to try to right what he called wrong uh, from last year. He wants to improve his on-field play. And we already know that A.J. Odoms and Torrey Richardson are their 1A, 1B at the starting cornerback positions on either side. But they need backup. They We've seen this UTEP defense in years past throw in a lot of uh, subs uh, here and there. So they need their twos to be just as good as their ones because their twos play a significant amount of snaps. I'm confident that Amir Boy Matthews will be ready come the season uh, a lot better than you know he looked last year as a true freshman, no doubt about it. I'm really high on him. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. You know, he brings a really certain fire to the defense that I'm not going to say they're missing, but he's a really competitive guy. He got an interception at the practice I was at the other day, and um, I look at Amir Boyd Matthews and I compare a situation. I know it's not completely similar, but a couple of years ago when Walter Neal and um, um, Josh Caldwell were the two starting cornerbacks, they were locked up, and also Dennis Barnes in the slot. But like you said, UTEP uses their twos on the field a lot, and Tori Richardson saw a lot of playing time that year. It was in 2021, and I can, I can, I can see Amir Boy Matthews you know, playing a similar role to what Tori Richardson played that year, you know, getting on the field, um, getting a lot of snaps, getting a lot of reps, getting a lot of experience. That way, you know, in the following year, he can be a, he can be a star. And, you know, a lot of people forget, this guy was one of UTEP's biggest recruiting wins a couple of years ago. You know, UTEP does not flip commitments a lot, but they went out and they went out and got Amir Boy Matthews. He was committed to Northern Illinois, and on signing day, they flipped him. So, you know, they see a lot in him, obviously. I'm really excited uh, to see what he brings to the field this year. Okay, give me another name. Well, one name that um, I've been looking out for, linebackers. It's a bit of a question. I'm a little. I'm. I'm not a little. I'm a little concerned. But I'm going with Nate Diamond. I think he's a guy that can, you know, find his way into the linebacker rotation. You know, I like James Neal. I really do. 
But, you know, who knows what will happen? Who knows? Injuries can happen. A lot of different things can happen. Jerome Wilson, the same thing. So um, I'm looking out for him. Uh, I think he's from – he's a junior college transfer. You know, he's really impressed me at practice. And um, linebacker is – you know, it's a role that, that – you know, could end up being needed down the stretch. So to your point about Diamond, he is from Blinn College. UTEP's had a lot of luck with the Blinn uh, College transfers from JUCO to Texas. He's also from Missouri City, Texas, which UTEP's found a lot of talent from. But this guy's been around college football for a while now. Like he's he's a junior. He's six foot two. Uh, his final season in high school um, was you know it was through the pandemic, so he wasn't really sought after out of high school. That's why he needed the Blinn College route coming out of high school. And he's kind of a product of a guy who's just been under the radar his entire his entire time. So if you are looking for that next Matt Wallerstead or you know that somebody or Cal Wallerstead, excuse me, or, or somebody who's going to fill in more of a run uh, stopping linebacker role, I think he could be maybe that guy. I want to see him more on special teams this year, see how he progresses, and then uh, kind of assess him. But I actually liked him as one of the top uh, recruits going in out of this class. So that's a great name that you mention um i'll mention somebody who's my favorite uh rising player on this team and i I talked to you at length about this guy atik muhammad it's unfair of me to pick him right here because uh, i feel like everybody should be allowed to pick him but say every week i ask people like who's impressing you who's a guy no one's talking about who's a player in the future who could be seen by nfl scouts and the name that i keep getting back is atik muhammad and the reason they say this is He's a freak physically. He is somebody who can uh, run all across the field and be a speedster. He is somebody who was recruited out of Illinois, but he played primarily running back, and he played a uh, little special teams too with his uh, high school team. But he has just dazzled coaches, teammates, whatever it might be on the field due to his uh, physical freak style of play. I, I wonder if corner would will be the uh, ultimate landing spot for him for a position. Uh, every time I watch him, I just want him to get on the field this year. I don't know if that's going to actually happen, but I want to see him play some more uh, you know, snaps this year so he can get some uh, playing experience under his belt. Atik Muhammad is definitely a name I'm going to be watching for years to come. Yeah, you know, Atik Muhammad, you see him in practice. This guy, he's listed like at 6'3", but in reality, he looks like he's 6'5". And, you know, he really looks lengthy, but he's almost 200 pounds. And this guy, he's an athletic freak. You see him in practice. And uh, like you said, who knows if cornerback's going to be his landing position because he can play anywhere, almost anywhere on the defense. You know, uh, a couple practices ago, you pointed out to me, you know, he was blitzing the quarterback. And it was just insane how quickly he was getting there. He does so much. Um, he can do so much with his athleticism, and if he puts on a you know a few more pounds, some more weight, he can be an absolute uh, dominant safety if they wanted him to. So I'm really excited. Hopefully, he does see some playing time. I want to see him in an actual game because, like you said, there's not much film on him in high school. You know, in the secondary, he was a running back. So I want to see what he, what he looks like against D1 talent. I'm excited. And yes, you know, we've talked about this guy. He, he just looks insane. All right, Zay, give me another good name. So here's a guy that, you know, joined the team a couple of years ago. I thought was going to make a bit of a difference. He really hasn't, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm believing in him. You know, the safety position, is, it's a bit open next to Kobe Hilton. So I'm going to go with Trajan Hughes. And, you know, he's a guy from Cisco. 
he was an All-American, if I'm not mistaken. He's a safety. I mean, he's just – he missed 18 tackles in a game at Cisco. 18 tackles in one game. So, I, I want to see him on the field. We've seen him in practice a lot. He runs with the twos and threes. But uh, I, hope, I hope he can get on the field this year. He's a guy that I really like. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, this is a very interesting name you bring up because Huey was somebody who in in like college at Cisco, I thought he could play. It's kind of like the Teek Muhammad thing. I, I thought he could play a little wide receiver. Actually, I thought he was playing the wrong position. He was he played every game for the minors uh, as reserve nickelback behind Dennis Barnes in 2021. So I actually thought the path to him playing was much more clear back then than it is now. Uh, that off season, I remember the coaching staff won wondering, well, should he be a wide receiver? Should he still stick at nickelback? And instead, they didn't really have a position for him. He played a little safety last year. Um, I, I just didn't feel like he stood out to me last year. But he could be a product of somebody who's just trying to find the right place for him on the field. I'll tell you this. The safety position is going to need depth because they rely so heavily on Kobe Hilton. They are going to rely on Mikel Broussard, who's never really taken a an extended starting role before. So they'll need as much depth at that position as they can get. I like names at that spot like like Oscar Moore, who's a Kilgore College transfer and who could definitely uh, make a name for himself in that secondary. And so I, I think there's no reason as to why Trajan Huey could not be in that mix when it's all said and done. I think that's a great name. Um, I, I remember, you know, when he was first brought here to UTEP, how high Dana Dimmel was on him. And he's mentioned him when he talks about his two and three deep. So that's a, that's a terrific name. Uh, I'll give you another name on offense. This is somebody I have not written about, but it's somebody who I'm very intrigued by. And I think as weeks continue, he is starting to really stand out in the tight end group. I'm talking uh, about, of course, one of their newcomers in Marcus Vinson. He also comes from Kilgore College. And um, we thought that it would be Judah Izenwa easily as as the backup tight end to Zach Fryer. But as the weeks continue, I look at Marcus Vinson as somebody who can contend for that second uh, overall role. And maybe, you know, I'm call me far-fetched, Zay, maybe could even play more or as much as uh, Zach Fryer when it's all said and done. How do you see his performance? Yeah, you know, Marcus Vinson is a guy coming out of Kilgore. You know, before that, he was at Duncanville. And he was dominant. He was a really good tight end. He could block. He could do so much. He he had some some offers. He had some pretty high offers. And I guess things you know sometimes things don't work out. You end up the JUCO route, and he didn't really you know he didn't jump off the the stats. You know the stats aren't crazy, but the film is there. The body's there, and he's been he's been showing out in practice. You know with Judah out, you know Judah not really doing much. This is a chance for guys like him to to really jump jump Judah. You know, he was the guy like we said. He was the guy that was supposed to you know be a cast pat a pass catcher, do so much. But you're right, Marcus Vincent has really you know jumped out at me. He, he does a lot. He's so big. He's a big guy. He's six four two fifty. He can block exceptionally well. And his hands aren't amazing, but they can get better. And you're right. Maybe he does uh, jump Zach Fryer as well. I, I do like him. There's another tie-in that I like. Um, Elijah Boyd, he's another guy that I like. But, um, yeah, I do like Marcus Spencer. Okay, give me one last name. So this guy was, you know, I, don't, I guess he's not really under the radar, 
but I mean, he's been, he's been insane. It's Marcus Bellin. He's been insane at practice. I really like what I, what I've seen from him. He made an insane, like one handed catch the other day. Um, He's not just a punt returner. You know, I've come to that that realization. He's not just a punt returner. He can do so much for this offense. And I know UTEP probably doesn't want to play another undersized receiver, but, man, I mean, he's, just, he's so quick. He's so fast. He can do so much. He's a guy that's really impressed me this uh, fall. Okay, great name. Another great one. You've done a great job at this exercise. Uh, Marcus Bellin. Oh, let's set the stage right because number one receiver on this team coming back is, uh, no question about it, is Tyron Smith. Right behind him, number two, who's stepped up uh, admirably this entire fall camp and you know even go back to spring, is Kelly Akari. He's, he's got the number two locked down. Jeremiah Ballard, I'd assume he gets the three spot for the starting wide receiver uh, for the Miners, and I think he's earned it. He's done a great job um, kind of transitioning into a bigger role this offseason and uh, I want to see what Jeremiah Ballard can do with extended playing time and how he finds consistency but then Zay after that wide receivers four five six and seven are just open right now and as far as production Marcus Bellin is as productive or more productive than anybody uh, in this wide receiver corp that could challenge for that fourth fifth sixth spot in the rotation, that's uh, you know that's a credit to him and and all the work that he's put in this off season. I think every time he gets on the field, he gets open. That's one of the th- he's one of the best route runners we've seen at that slot position that UTEP has. So I like him in that respect. And then he's got good hands. That's another part about it. He's a game. He'll he'll lie out for uh, catches. He will put his body on the line, and he's not afraid to take hits. He's somebody who I'm definitely looking at all season long to see how he gets integrated in the offense. I'm not ready to call him more than just a punt returner yet. I want to see it on the field, let him let him show it to us uh, in an actual game, and then we can make that assessment. But I think it's a, it's a great name to mention and somebody that we definitely have to watch all season long. Um, Zay, I'm going to give you one final name. And I promise you, if he plays this year, it's going to be for all the wrong reasons. Okay? Last name okay. is going to be Julian Malucci. The <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. This he is the East Lake product who is a kicker for the Miners, who is who walked on the team. He kicked all four seasons at East Lake, and I, I've seen him make some uh, long field goals. In fact, he has six field goals that he made over 40 plus yards which is impressive going into UTEP he's five foot seven and I promise you Zay if they see him this year it's not going to be for good reasons they need Buzz Flabiano to be good but maybe the kicker of the future Julian Malucci maybe they have that on their roster right now the Eastlake standout who is coming in as a freshman your thoughts yeah you know uh, everybody in El Paso around you know kind of the El Paso Prep High Schools, you know, football, that little circle. Everybody knows Julian Malucci. They know what he's done. You know, you know, they know the kind of leg that he has. And you're right. If they do see, if he does see the field, it's probably not, you know, good for UTEP. But he could shock a lot of people. You're right. I mean, he can, he can end up, you know, stealing that position if, if, um, if Buzz doesn't even, uh, if Buzz isn't productive. And we know how important, you know, the kicker, the kicking position is, especially in college football. And for a team like UTEP, who did not convert well in the red zone when it comes to getting touchdowns, so you're right. You know, if Buzz does not end up, you know, really panning out for the Miners, why can't Malucci take that spot? Why can't he be the guy? Why can't he be, you know, there's not going to be another Gavin Beckley, but come close to it, you know. Hit the kicks that you need to hit, 
And um, he definitely has the potential to do that. So <laughs> it was a name that kind of caught me off guard and, you know, made me laugh a little bit. But you're right. I mean, if he does end up seeing the field, probably not for good reason. All right, last thing. i got to put you on the spot. Give me your final record for UTEP football this year. You don't have to make this public yet, but make it public here on this uh, on, on the Minor Talk podcast uh, season preview. Give me your final record prediction for the 2023 season for UTEP football. So I'll say this about UTEP. You know, there's there's a world where I can see them finishing second, and there's also a world that I can finish. I can see them finishing sixth in conference USA. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with seven and five. It's probably the easier record. You know, something that you know if if they don't end up going seven and five, that you know people aren't gonna come back to this segment and you know get on me. But seven and five is is realistic. I can see them going eight and four as well. But I'm gonna stick to seven and five. I do have that that tougher stretch, um, that tr- that tougher uh, last three games. That stretches is brutal. You know, if UTEP, if those games were kind of spread out, I could then say eight and four. But that stretch, that Middle Tennessee, West Kentucky, and Liberty stretch, it's just it's scary. So I'm gonna go seven and five. But um, I will say, you know, looking at New Mexico State's uh, looking at New Mexico State's schedule and UTEP's schedule, there's no reason those two teams can't go into uh, the 100 battle by ten. Both bowl eligible. Ooh, I love it. Hey, Zay, thanks again for doing this, man. Great stuff, and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you.